Good afternoon. You'll find uh, Matthew 12, 1 through 21. Well, Matthew 12, 1 on page 11 in your pew Bibles. Page 11. Uh, I'll be reading 21 verses, so bear with me. Bear with me. Uh, precious Lord, take my hand and my mouth. everything in me, precious Lord. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and at the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple was here. And if you had not known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. That's Jesus. He said to them, which of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. The Lord always adds a blessing to the reading of his holy word. In the text that has been read in your hearing just a few moments ago, we learn this great truth that Jesus is the king of mercy and justice. He is the king of mercy and justice who calls us to continue his mission of mercy and justice in this broken world. 
Jesus is the King of mercy and justice. And he calls us to continue his mission of mercy and justice in this broken world. I am grateful that in our study through the Gospel of Matthew, this is now sermon number 31 in this series, uh, we can talk today about a matter that would have been dear to Dr. Martin Luther King, but even more importantly, it was very dear and very important to our one and only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will talk today about justice. Jesus' call to mercy and justice for all. As we, as we look at the text that's been read already in Matthew chapter 12, I, I want to begin by making sure to see that this text reveals to us, first of all, Jesus. It shows us who Jesus is, and only after that does it reveal to us what Jesus wants from us. We, we are called to be like Jesus, but before we think about being like Jesus, let's make sure to notice what he is like. He is the king of mercy and of justice. He is merciful and just toward all. We don't have time to go slowly through this text, but here's what I want you to see, that in this text, we learn to love and adore King Jesus. And we learn to love him and adore him because he's the one who cares for the hungry in verses 1 through 8. He is King Jesus who is the Lord of the Sabbath and he is the giver of the law of God. He is the one who is greater than the temple and all the Old Testament sacrifices who interprets God's law for us in verses 6 through 8. He is King Jesus who reminds us that the purpose for ceremonial religious laws like the showbread, the bread, the consecrated bread that was in the tabernacle and the temple, the purpose of that bread is, is not just so that it can sit there in some kind of consecrated way, but so that it may be eaten. For bread is indeed given to us to feed the hungry. We are to love and adore King Jesus who in verses 9 through 15 heals the sick. King Jesus who treats the broken, the bruised, and the vulnerable with gentleness and respect in verses 19 and 20. King Jesus who doesn't quarrel and doesn't argue with and harangue us to harass us to do His will. Verse 19. He is King Jesus who proclaims and promises justice for everybody, for everybody in verses 17 through 21. And he is King Jesus who will bring justice to victory. He will bring justice to victory in all the earth in verses 20 and 21. This is, this is the one whom we adore. This is the one we worship. This is the one we bow before. The King of mercy, the King of justice, the King of goodness and gentleness and truth. And, and we are to come and worship Him whenever we read, whenever we learn, whenever we see anything about Jesus. We really haven't learned it until it turns into worship, until it turns into praise. So as you read this text, 
worship and adore Jesus the King. He is the King of mercy and the King of justice. But as we worship, let us also realize that King Jesus, who is the King of mercy and justice, calls us. He calls us to continue his mission of mercy, his mission of justice in this broken world. It's that that I want us to think about in the remainder of our time. I want us to consider three things. The nature of justice, according to this text. The call of justice, and then the basis of justice. And may God bless his word to our hearts. Let's, let's begin with the nature of justice. What exactly is justice? We can come to a biblical definition by noticing a few things in our text. In this text, in Matthew 12, justice is a term that seems to include all the kinds of good deeds and acts of kindness and justice and decency and care and healing that Jesus did. Look at, look at verses 15 through 18 and then verse 20. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This, what, what does the this refer to? It refers to his healing. This, all this healing of all of this people, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. What was spoken by the prophet? This was, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles, down verse 20, until he brings justice to victory. See the connection. The text tells us that Jesus' healing, his deeds of mercy, his kindness and love, together with his speaking, were a fulfillment of this prophecy that when the Messiah came, when the King came, he would proclaim justice and he would bring justice to victory. So what is justice? Justice, among other things, is healing and deeds of mercy and deeds of kindness. The very things Jesus did, these things all fall under the category of justice biblically defined. So mercy, verse 7, mercy is a form of justice. It involves compassion to the poor, the needy, the hungry, the vulnerable, and forgiveness of the guilty. Doing good in verse 12 is kindness and helpfulness and service and generosity and rescuing people from harm and healing and caring for the sick and the imprisoned and the alone and the cast out. Justice in verses 18 and 20, the, the term that is used there is a term for fairness and righteousness. It involves Judging that between that which is fair and unfair, between that which is right and that which is wrong, in order to make sure that each person gets exactly what is due. Justice is when, both personally and systemically, people do the right things for the right people in the right way, to the right degree, because it is right. Because it is right. The very essence of biblical justice is giving people what is their 
due, due respect, due process, due love, due attention, due protection, due care, due dignity, due everything. It is giving to people what is their due. And notice that this justice is supposed to be for all people. And for all ethnicities, that's what the term Gentiles means down in verse 18. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles, verse 20 and 21. He will bring justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Some of you will know, will remember that the term Gentiles translates a Greek word ethnos from which we get our word ethnic or ethnicity. It, it's a reference to cultural, ethnic, linguistic diversity. And, and it's telling us that this justice that Jesus came to bring is a justice not just for the Jews, not just for the rich, not just for the religious, not just for the powerful, but for everybody, black and white and brown and blue and name it. Everybody is included in this. And I love Isaiah uh, includes a phrase here. Uh, that is not in Matthew in the text that is being quoted from Isaiah. In Isaiah it says, He will not grow faint or discouraged. Speaking of Jesus the Messiah, He will not grow faint or discouraged until He has established justice in the earth. He will not grow faint or discouraged, our King. He will not grow faint or discouraged until he has established justice upon the earth. King Jesus will not rest. King Jesus will not rest. He will not rest until justice happens fully and forever for all ethnicities on the planet, for all people on the planet. Justice is no respecter of persons. It says, concern for justice for the black is for the white, or for the white is for the black, or the brown, or the rich, or the poor, or the old, or the young, or the born, or the unborn. We are not just if we are simply pulling for any person or group or people more than other people or persons or groups. Justice is for all people and peoples equally. This is for the Gentiles. It is making sure justice is that everyone everywhere receives the mercy, the goodness, the kindness, the fair shake, the valued treatment that reflects the heart of Christ for all his people and for all people everywhere. There's the nature of justice. Secondly, the call of justice. The call of justice. It, it's important that we realize that what we read here in Matthew 12 is not just a description of King Jesus telling us what he is like, but it is also a, a description of King Jesus exhorting us, in effect, to be like him, to practice justice and mercy ourselves. So in verse 7, for example, what does Jesus, King Jesus say? He says, God desires mercy and not sacrifice. This is what God desires of you, my friend. He desires mercy in your life. 
for you to be merciful. In verse 12, we are to do good. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. This is our task. This is our calling to do good. And in this context that doing good involves feeding the hungry, that doing good involves healing and helping the sick, that doing good involves lifting someone out of the pit when you come upon them in the pit. If you would do that, Jesus says, for a sheep, then surely you must do it for a person. We are to do justice and be good and do good. Let me, let me, let me cite for you scriptures that I know many of you know. Amos 5, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate so that it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God is saying to us here, look, I'm not that interested in the noise of your songs. I'm not that interested in the melody of your harps. What I'm interested in, in is that justice happen. And that it roll down like waters, like an ever-flowing stream. Micah 6 and verse 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Brothers, sisters, friends here today, what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let us not forget the words of our Lord in Matthew 23 and verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Justice mercy and faithfulness these jesus says these are the weightier matters of the law he says tithing is important giving a tenth of your income matters it's important but justice mercy and faithfulness these are really important these really matter they are weighty they are substantial they are important they are dense with significance Matthew 25, those who are called the righteous or the just are those who give food to the hungry and drink to the thirsty, who welcome in the stranger and visit the prisoner, who clothe the naked and care for the sick. In so doing, Jesus says, we feed and welcome and visit and clothe and care for Jesus himself. Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Now in Matthew 12 and verse 18 and 21, Jesus says that this justice is going to be proclaimed to the Gentiles, to the ethnicities, to the nations. Something we need to remember. 
Jesus did not do that in his lifetime. Jesus' ministry extended primarily to the Jewish people alone, which means that this prediction is not fulfilled yet. Jesus has not yet established justice to the nations. What does that mean? It must mean that he is establishing justice for the nations through us. That we are to continue his mission of mercy and justice in this broken world. This is our calling. This is our calling. Now, now as we approach this, it is important for us to see not just the nature of justice, giving to each one what is their due, not just the call of justice, that this is what we are called to to continue until Jesus comes, but let us look at the basis of this justice so that we are properly motivated, moved, and stirred to live our lives to this end. The basis of justice in Matthew 12 is the value that God places on each and every human being. Look at, look at Matthew 12, verses 11 and 12. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Follow Jesus' logic here. Follow his line of reason. He grounds, he bases his call to mercy, to goodness, and to justice in the surpassing value of each human being. The worth and value of a human being is what should call forth from our hearts lives of mercy, of goodness, and of justice. Now you need to make sure you know the distinction. There's a difference between having worth and being worthy. Right? Being worthy means we deserve it. Being worthy means we've earned it. If you know your own heart, you know you are not worthy. You know that if you got what you deserved, you would breathe your next breath in hell. Thankfully, Christ Jesus gave himself, he who was all worthy, gave himself for the unworthy that he might count us as worthy in the sight of God. But even though we are not worthy, we have worth. We have value. Brothers and sisters, this is so important for us, both at a personal level, as we look in the mirror and see ourselves and our, look into our own being and our own existence in a world that tells us to define and measure our worth by our looks, by our wealth, by the car we drive, by the house we live in, by the friends we have, by the clothes we wear. As we, look at, look, as we live in a world that defines worth and value by all the wrong things, we, we need to understand the worth that we have given to us by God. 
And not only must we understand that for the sake of our own well-being, we need to understand that so that we can treat each other as we should. We treat carefully and respectfully things that we value highly. I don't know about you, but every Christmas as we pull the tree out and we start decorating it, there are ornaments that have value and there are ornaments that are a dime a dozen. And you treat each one differently. We have one ornament on our tree, it's a little bird that was cut out of construction paper by Galen in kindergarten. Any time and every time I touch that ornament, I touch it gently. I hold it as if it's a sacred object. I, I put it on the tree ever so carefully. I take it down from the tree ever so carefully because it has value. We treat well things that have value. We treat poorly and carelessly things that we don't value. How much we value people determines how well we will treat them. How much we value people determines how well we will treat them. Did you hear that? How much we value people will determine how well we treat them. And justice Justice is treating all people in keeping with their true value as measured by God. How much we value people depends or determines how well we will treat them and justice is treating all people in keeping with their true value as measured by God. God. So how do we know one another's true value? How do I know how valued and valuable to God each human being is? I give you three answers to that question. And I pray with all of my being that God writes these on our hearts because they will change how we look in the mirror and they will change how we look at each other. Number one. We know our true value as measured by God by this fact, each is made in the image of God. Each is made in the image of God. I know this is familiar to many of you. I don't apologize for that. We need to repeat and repeat and repeat until it works its way into the very fabric of our being until we eat it and breathe it and, and drink it and swallow it and live it. We know the value of a human being in this. Each is made in the image of God. Genesis 1, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
Male and female, he created them. Acts 17, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. Not in a biological sense, but in a creation sense. We are the offspring of God. This is astonishing teaching. This is astonishing truth. We are all born from one human father. We are all made from one divine image, the image of God. We are the offspring of God, which means we all have dignity. We all have beauty. There is a call here for profound respect. Profound humility, profound engagement with one another. One of the reasons we do grace and race fellowship and will continue to do grace and race fellowship probably until the day heaven dawns is because it's only when heaven dawns that we'll finally get this right. But until then, we're going to press in. Made in the image of God, that's made, that means that each and every one is worth my respect, my humility, my engagement, my care, my understanding, my attention, my empathy, my respect, my love. In terms of inherent moral worth and character, because we're all made in the image of God, it means there are no superiors or inferiors, no lessers or greaters, no worse or betters, no lowers or highers, just equals, just equals. Whites are not one whisper better than blacks or blacks than whites, or old than young, or rich than poor, or poor than rich, or men than women, or women than men or born or unborn. We are valuable to God because each of us is made in his image. Number two, each is redeemed with precious blood. Each is redeemed with precious blood. Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both, the both that Paul is writing about here, Jews and Gentiles, people of all different ethnicities, he has made us one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity, in place of the two, so making peace. It might reconcile us, both Jew and Gentile, all ethnicities might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross. In Ephesians 2, we see that ethnic reconciliation and justice is one of the primary goals of God in the redeeming and reconciling work of Christ. We are reminded that the cost for our reconciliation, not just with God, but with each other, was nothing less than the precious blood of Jesus. We've all been redeemed by precious blood, blood of infinite worth and immeasurable value, precious blood that washes away all our sins. 
Precious blood that cancels all our debt. Precious blood that satisfies all the angry demands of God's law. Precious blood that appeases the just wrath of a holy God. Precious blood that reconciles us to God and to each other through the cross. If you ask, Lord God of heaven, how much do you love all these multicolored and cultured human creatures? He will say, I love them enough to have given my son for them. If you ask, Lord God of heaven, how much are these human creatures worth to you? He will say, because I love them all so much, black, white, brown, blue, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, because I love them so much, I have ransomed them at the price of the precious blood of my son. If you ask Lord God of heaven, how much are you willing to pay to have these human creatures as your eternal cherished possession? He will say, I gave up the dearest treasure I had, my son. If you ask Lord God of heaven, to what lengths and heights and depths will you go to redeem these human creatures from bondage and death that they might be yours forever? He will say, I left the heights of heaven and in my son I plummeted to the depths of earth into the abyss of darkness itself to seek them and find them and buy them back from the bondage to which they were enslaved. If you ask Lord God of heaven, where can we look to see this love so amazing and so divine? He will say, look to Calvary. Look to Calvary. And there survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? There are a couple times in Paul's writings where he tells us as he addresses cultural and ethnic prejudice and preference and pride in New Testament churches, he tells the Romans and he tells the Corinthians, be careful how you treat each other, lest you destroy someone for whom Christ died. When I hear those words, I tremble. I tremble. Is there anything that I'm doing or saying, any attitudes I have or preferences or prejudices that I am holding that in any way is destroying someone for whom Christ died? We are all redeemed with precious blood, the blood of Christ, and we must count as precious and treat as precious those who have been bought with the ultimate price. We see the value that we have in God's sight by the fact that each of us is made in the image of God. Each of us is redeemed with precious blood. And then third, each is destined for immortal splendor. Each is destined for immortal splendor. 
I believe this is true individually and culturally. I believe the Bible teaches that individuals are destined for splendor and that cultures, various cultures, all the cultures of the earth are destined for eternal glory and splendor as well. First of all, individual. In Romans 2, God says, He will render to each one of His children according to His works to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. There will be glory and honor and peace. This, Brothers, we ought to be shouting glory here. Because this text is telling us something astonishing that we who are made out of dust, we who are dust creatures, we who, who God formed out of mud, we are destined for glory, for honor, for immortality. We are destined for thrones. We are destined for majesty. And how that should affect how we talk to each other now. How that should affect how I look at you, how I think about you, how I respond to you, how I treat you. You are going to be sitting on a throne in heaven. You are going to be filled with glory. C.S. Lewis says you're going to have such glory that it's the kind of glory that if we were to see a creature with that kind of glory right now, we'd probably be tempted to bow down and worship. Because there, it is going to be the reflected majesty of King Jesus. The brilliance of who He is is going to bounce off of us. It's going to shine off of us. We are going to be glorious. Let us be careful how we treat each other now. Let justice prevail. Let each receive what is due. We will treat each other well. Only if we value each other much. Only if we value each other as God does. But it's not just individually, but culturally. And this is something uh, that stirs my heart. <laughs> we get a little taste of it here. Thank God for our gospel praise choir and Thank God for the various other musicians and singers that bring various styles and glory into this congregation. Uh, but folks, that's only a, a little crumb off the table. We read in Revelation 21, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. But its light, by its light, will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. It doesn't say the kings of the earth will glorify God. It says the kings of the earth representing the nations and the cultures and the ethnicities that they ruled, they will bring their cultural glory into the new Jerusalem. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. What is this promising? It is promising us 
not just a multicultural eternity, but an omnicultural eternity where every culture is going to be represented and the glory of the kings and the nations that will be brought into the heavenly city will be the wealth and the beauty and the music and the dance and the magnificence and the art and the splendor and the accomplishments and the inventions and the, the cultural beauty and glory of the nations of the ethnicities will be brought into the new Jerusalem. Oh my, I wish I had another half hour, but I don't. How much we value people determines how well we will treat them. And justice is treating all people in keeping with their true value as measured by God. And how has God measured your value and mine? Each of us is made in the image of God. Each of us, grace upon grace, what I'm about to say, astonishing. Each of us is so valued by God that we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. And each of us, individually, and in our cultural expressions, each of us is destined for immortal splendor. <laughs>